This episode of the Baby Tribe podcast is proudly sponsored by HappyTummy.ie, the exclusive distributor of BioGaia probiotics for babies. That's right. And as parents ourselves, we know how crucial it is to prioritize our children's health. BioGaia probiotics have been clinically proven to support digestive health and reduce the duration of crying in babies experiencing colic. Absolutely. And HappyTummy.ie makes it incredibly convenient for parents to access these products. Amazing. So for all your probiotic needs, head on over to happytummy.ie. And Baby Tribe listeners can enjoy a 10% discount on all products at happytummy.ie with the code BABYTRIBE10. Okay, let's get on with the episode. Welcome to the Baby Tribe podcast, where we will explore the beautiful chaos of parenthood and discover the joys and challenges of nurturing our little ones. We are your hosts, Katie Mugan and Afif El-Kafash. Each week, we'll bring you the latest information on all things to do with parenting and delve into insightful conversations with experienced parents to bring you practical tips, heartwarming stories, and a dose of laughter that every parent can relate to. So grab your coffee, find a cozy spot, and join us as we embark on this unforgettable journey of parenthood together. Welcome to the Baby Tribe. What cozy spot is a parent going to find? Just put on your ear pods and out you go for that walk and you'll get to tune in and listen to myself and Afif talking everything small babies related. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the now award nominated, award nominated podcast. Remember that, Katie? Yes. Well, I'm also an award winner, Afif. Oh, tell us about that. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. Um, yes, I won Solo Businesswoman of the Year Awards. I know, I'm only joking. I was. I, this is why I said this. I wanted you to bring it up yourself. I was thinking of wearing a sash with it on this morning and maybe a tiara, but I thought it might go a bit overboard. But when we win the awards... We're definitely wearing sashes We're definitely and wearing sashes. And I will and wear a tiara. <laughs> so for that, I think everyone should go on and actually um, vote for us. And on that, yes, please, please, please. There is a Listener's Choice Award. So go to the Irish Podcast Awards website and there is a link there to vote for your favourite podcast. You can find us there. All registered podcasts in Ireland are eligible for this prize. So we're up against literally everybody else in the country. So please consider voting for us. We would um, love you forever. We're like two little fishes in a big pond. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Well deserved. I'm really, really happy for you. And it couldn't have happened to a nicer person. But I do have a bone to pick with you because you think that your buddy is cuter than my buddy. Yeah, so I have to say now, Afif's buddy is like the tiniest little We're dog. We're talking about dogs now. Just, yeah, dogs. Yes. Dogs um, is the tiniest little dog and you know, you could actually literally stand on him. But he is like Afif's third child. Actually, hate to say it about the kids, but I think he's your favourite at the moment. I'm, I openly admit that he's my favourite. Yeah, there's no ambiguity about that whatsoever. However, my buddy, this is so random. We both have two dogs with the exact same name. Like that is freaky. But also I have to say, my buddy is hairy. He's gorgeous. He's a bit of a yapper now out in a walk. But other than that, he sleeps 20 hours out of 24. Your buddy is not cuter than my buddy. I'm gonna, I think we're going to have to do a poll, Afif. We're definitely going to have to stick it up yes. and see whose buddy is cuter. I guarantee my guy's coming out the best. Okay. We'll put a poll on Instagram later on today and see who wins. Absolutely. Anyway, what are we talking about today? We are going to talk about baby monitors. Now, not in the kind of idea that you think of the uh, baby monitor for sleep and just as in, um, how do you say it, Afif? Like a, not a video camera, but like. Yeah. So there, I suppose. There's when, different types. Yes. When I initially approached Katie about this topic to talk about, she was sort of in favor of or didn't have anything against the baby 
the traditional baby monitors. Yeah. So there are, I think, two different types. Some There's some overlapping functions. There is the baby monitor. I'm talking about the radio kind of monitors yes. that you have from one room to the others. And now that they kind of, a lot of them have cameras. I'm like, look, that gives parents a bit of, um, I suppose, they kind of like to be able to see what the baby's doing when they're asleep. But we, we're, we're talking about something totally different here. Yeah, so there are two different kinds. There's the one that, you know, you could look at your baby or you could listen to your baby via an, an app or uh, a device. And I think they're okay. But the one I'm talking about is that over the last maybe three or four years, there's a new class of what we call as physiological monitors that have come on stream. So these are apps that monitor your baby's heart rate and your baby's oxygen levels. And they usually consist of a sensor that's either built into your baby's socks, vest, um, there could be a little leg band or a nappy clip. And then they measure your baby's respiration. So how many times they breathe in a minute, your baby's heart rate and your baby's oxygen saturation. And they're supposed to link into a smart app on your phone. And then they alert you if there is evidence of issues. So what issues are we talking about? A low heart rate or a low oxygen level or pauses in breathing. These are kind of like what we, you know, the MR10 monitors that we would have had in the hospitals. Yeah. Um, and I'd say that's probably what they've mirrored them on. Um, yeah. um, like, I don't know, I think for some of them, I think initially I would say it brings a lot of anxieties to parents because these don't often, like they don't pick up, babies can go into deep sleep and you know, obviously the abdomen doesn't rise as much and then the alarm goes off. It sends parents absolutely panicked. But equally, parents could rely on them and may do things that they wouldn't necessarily do. But because they believe these monitors are kind of a security that they're going to pick up if something happens, then they may practice unsafe sleep. So you've hit the nail on the head here, Katie. Oh. The issue I have with them is that they there is issue with their reliability and there's issue with their accuracy. And there there is issue with the false positive rates that they may produce. So what do I mean by these things? What does reliability mean? Reliability means is if the device measures something, is it actually measuring what it's supposed to measure? Meaning that if I take the device off and put the device back on the baby, is it going to give me the same reading provided nothing has changed? Accuracy. Is it actually telling me accurate information. For example, is the baby's heart rate 100, yet it's telling me that the baby's heart rate is 120, 130 and vice versa. And then the third thing is false positives, meaning that it may alarm you when there is nothing actually wrong with the baby. Now, we do have monitors like that in hospital that tell us the baby's heart rate, that tell us the baby's saturation, meaning the oxygen levels in their blood, and also tell us the baby's breathing rate. But those have all passed real rigorous tests and they have been approved by appropriate bodies to enable them to be used as a medical device. Therein lies the problem with these devices. These devices actually, none of them as far as I know and as far as I'm aware and have looked quite a lot, have actually been properly approved for use in their field. And how do manufacturers actually skirt around it? They skirt around it by actually avoiding direct statements to say that their products actually treat, diagnose or prevent disease. None of these devices have actually been proven to reduce the incidence of SIDS, which is the thing we obviously mostly worry about. And how do the companies skirt around this? They skirt around this by not actually making those claims. You'll never see a manufacturer saying this will reduce the risk of SIDS in your baby or this will prevent the occurrence of X, Y, and Z. What they do claim is very wishy-wishy-washy stuff. And I've sort of gathered some examples of what those devices say, okay? And 
you pretend to be the parent and I will pretend to be the advert, okay? So we can't promise to prevent sudden infant death syndrome right now. It is an unknown issue. However, we believe that notifying parents when something goes wrong maybe can help. So in other words, it's going to alarm if anything happens. So my baby's not going to end up with an, you know, Yes. Hopefully with sudden infant death. And here, here's another one. This is one that is relevant to ones that are like um, put in a socks or a leg band. Dear parent, what sound does your baby make if he or she stops breathing? Oh, my God. Even that alone. <laughs> Horrible. And then it th- says stuff like, you know, our product should be used every time your baby could go to sleep. And then these kind of direct to parent advertising strategies will stimulate unnecessary fear, anxiety. I mean, if I told you that you should put this on your baby every time they could possibly fall asleep, gives the impression that falling asleep is a dangerous thing. Yeah. That we need to monitor your baby throughout their sleeping journey. And the one that really kind of bugs me is this one. Now, listen to this. If you're wondering what the benefits of using a baby monitor are, a baby monitor will, now listen to, to this very carefully, dear parent, will enable you to have peace of mind that everything's all right as it tracks their breathing and movements whilst you continue about your day. You'll be able to check on your baby without disturbing them with interference such as turning on the lights or making sounds. And it can also be helpful for sleep training your baby. So it already tells you, you don't need to check on your baby anymore because you can just check your phone. You don't need to even go into your baby's room and turn on the lights because you can be sitting two floors down or one floor down in your living room and make sure that everything's okay. I think that's actually a very dangerous message. Very scary. And then they have these statements that make them look that they've passed some sort of an approval, such as midwife approved. I'd love to meet that midwife (laughs) that approved this product. No slight on midwives whatsoever. I just think that this is not. But in fairness, that could be just somebody that's made a comment going, that's a really good idea. Yes. And then they have things. And this is in Ireland, by the way. If I told you as a parent, this product is HSA and FSA approved. Mm. What would you think? Well, it's nearly so closely linked to HSE and it's a, it's a, it's a safe uh, safety award. It is not. So basically what HSA and FSA approved is, and I looked this up, is that it's these are covered by insurance companies in the United States that you could claim money back on insurance. So this is actually irrelevant for Ireland. Wow. This is a United States Sounds good, though. Insurance sounds amazing. Oh, this is FSA approved. Therefore, it must be safe. So this is the issue I have, is that there is this sort of underhand misdirection there towards parents. Now, I'm going to I'm going to put in there because I know that there's going to be a lot of parents going, well, actually, I found it really good because it gave me the peace of mind. Because in fairness, there's a lot of parents out there and I can speak. Actually, my, my brother had twins, expecting twins back in, I suppose it must be 13 years ago now. And they lost one twin at 25 weeks. So when the next one came, she was obviously very small. There was a lot of complications, but they used one after because it just gave them the peace of mind. But as I said to them, you're not letting her out of your sight anyway. So what is the purpose? And by giving people the reassurances saying that these make it safer, you're probably going to do things that you wouldn't generally do had you not got that machine linked to them. And it causes a lot of anxiety. Like they go off all the time and that sends parents Oh my God, their anxiety levels yeah, so sky I was, high. I was going to get onto that. And that, it's a very important point you make is that it's, I think it's giving them a false sense of yeah, security rather absolutely. than a real sense of security. There is no evidence that these devices actually reduce the chances of SIDS. There's no evidence to show that they will prevent SIDS or reduce the chance of SIDS. But they heighten anxiety levels. There is ample evidence to show that they will actually create undue anxiety 
because a lot of the time there are false positives. What does a false positive mean? It means that there is an alarm when there really there isn't actually anything wrong. And what is happening on the ground is that these devices can sometimes lead to a cascade of unnecessary consequences. You see this alarm going off. You think there's something wrong with your baby. You bring your baby to hospital. Sometimes the hospital feel obliged to do certain tests to rule out things that may have been there. So you'll end up with a baby that's getting blood tests, that's being put on antibiotics, that's getting x-rays, maybe sometimes head scans. So it leads to all this cascade of sometimes unnecessary investigations that they generate a lot more anxiety, I think. Mm, absolutely agree. Yeah. And on the flip side, there is also evidence demonstrating that these devices may miss true issues that are gone wrong. So it may miss the fact that the baby's not breathing. They may miss the fact that the baby's oxygen levels are low. And they miss may miss the fact that the baby's heart rate is low. And the final point I want to make is, if you actually think about it, what is the normal physiological variations of heart rate and blood oxygen levels in healthy, normal babies? We know that when we monitor healthy, normal babies in our unit four, whatever reason, they do have normal dips in their heart rate, sometimes to levels that are under 100. Yep. And sometimes they could have certain pauses in breathing and their blood oxygen levels can fall. So this does happen in normal babies. So sometimes it may identify normal physiological variations and present them as something that is wrong that needs to be addressed. And then that poor parent in the middle of the night thinks there's something wrong with the baby, rushes to hospital, then all these tests are done yeah. when actually there was no need at all. Yeah, and I think there is sometimes scope for using devices like this in certain situations as probably the one you've described, but I definitely would not advocate their use in the general population because I think they actually create more issues than they solve and they are never a replacement for safe baby sleep, which we'll talk about next week. Yeah. And, um, and, and keeping an eye on your baby yourself and trusting yeah. your instinct. You see, that's where I think, like, even for my brother, as I said, you have the baby with you all the time anyway. So what is the purpose? Like, look, you can see if there's something, because in fairness, the baby was sleeping in the same room. And realistically, we know for safe sleep, and we talk about this next week, your baby's going to be with you for the first six months. And most will be anywhere between six months to a year in the same room as the parents. So like for me, those baby monitors, um, like for my first, we only had the radio one, do you know, that kind of way. But that was only more as they got older. So I could hear if just in case I didn't hear, but the doors are always open anyway, but that you could hear the child, you know, call or give out or look for you. But I mean, the, the video monitors, some people love. I mean, if I was asleep, I'm asleep. I'm not really looking at them. If I'm going to check them, I'm going up to check them anyway. So sometimes I think all these, I think it's brilliant that we've moved with technology. I think it's fantastic. And you're a real techie, so you definitely agree. But sometimes I think it takes away from our parental ability sometimes that to kind of go on our own intuition, if you want to say it like that. Yeah. that we can actually make the judgment, actually, they're fine or they're not. Like, I, I can guarantee if I if one of my kids moved or cried upstairs, I would hear them. Yeah. Even if I'm downstairs with the door yeah. closed, I would be like, Jim, I've heard something. And he's like, really? And I'm like, I'm telling you, I know one of them. And you guarantee that they're up. Yeah. And, and all of these things put doubt in your ability yeah, as a parent to look absolutely. after your kids. So that's the issue. I like have they can them. help, but I just don't want them as a reliant. And that's why I do think these kind of monitors, I see more and more parents use them. And I do think it creates a lot of anxiety. Great. So I think we both agree on this one. Yeah, we're on this. We're on the same. On the same page. Same page this time. Amazing. So time for our guest today. Yes. Who do we have on today? 
I am so excited about this one, Afif. We have the one and only award-winning Melanie Murphy join us today. Melanie Murphy is an award-winning lifestyle YouTuber. She was actually one of the OG YouTubers, believe it or not, Katie, that started the YouTube channel over 10 years ago when YouTube first started. Yeah. And she has since amassed over 700,000 followers on her YouTube channel. Wow. And also amassed nearly 80 million views to date, believe it or not. We could learn a thing or two off Melanie. Absolutely. She's also a best-selling author of three books and she is from Dublin, Ireland, where she lives with her husband and two children. Melanie's YouTube content is about life, relationship, motherhood, sexuality, confidence and mental health. And you can tell why this has attracted thousands and thousands of followers. She's also very prolific on Instagram with well over 100,000 followers as well. She was named um, the Blogosphere's Influencer of the Year in 2018 and Best Social Media Star in, 20, in the 2020 Gossies. She also did a short film. It's called Choice about abortion in Ireland, which premiered at the Buffer Festival in 2017, where it won the Excellence in Cultural Experience Award. So, Melanie, thank you so much for joining us on the Baby Tribe podcast. We are so happy to have you here. We are going to chat about all things to do with parenting and things like that. But for people who have been under a rock for the last 10 years, tell us a little <laughs> bit about yourself. I, uh, it's so funny. Nowadays, online, I feel like you can be really well known in a tiny corner of the Internet and nobody knows you anywhere else. So when I started, I, I started YouTube 10 years ago, I was doing a degree in education and training at DCU. And um, I just started this as a hobby after doing a lecture where we had to record ourselves giving a lecture and then grade ourselves on how well we did teaching. And I had this like rash on my chest. I was like banging into the table really awkwardly. I was, I was sweating. And I remember when it finished, I was like, I am not ready for this. I'm really bad at public speaking. I couldn't project my voice. Um, I was just very boring. And so one of the main reasons I started a YouTube channel was to just loosen up with speaking. Because at the time it was like people posting about their lipsticks or their lunch. And it was really um, kind of, it was not a big household thing, YouTube. And um, so I started doing that and I was getting, you know, a couple hundred views on my videos and stuff. But it was really bringing me out of my shell in a way that like, I was able to kind of practice my presentation and talk about things as well that I suppose I lived with my dad and my brother and my ex at the time as well. So it was like a load of lads and they were not interested in any of the things I wanted to talk about. So I kind of found this little kind of online family and it grew quite quickly when I started talking about stuff like my acne and things and um, just explain like back at the time, if one of my videos got a million views, there'd be a newspaper article about it. So it was, you, that, that'll make you think like now your neighbor gets a million views on, on their video, like everyone posting on TikTok and stuff. So the internet was just really different back then. And if I went into Dublin, people would be coming up to me constantly and, you know, wanting pictures with me and stuff. So it did feel really different. And I, I much prefer it now. Like I much prefer it now where I can kind of go to the shop and I don't feel like I'm some you know, well-known person in, in Ireland. It's like I'm well-known with my internet following. And um, yeah, so I just kind of kept going and I started getting to, you know, work with various companies. Like I used to mention this 
makeup that would was good at covering acne that I had been using for years, Vichy Derma Blend. And then Vichy reached out and they were like, do you want to do, um, do you want to be like uh, in, in one of our ads where you're putting it on your skin because we need someone with acne? And I, and I was like, you're going to give me money to do that? What? So it, for me in my early 20s, in university, like I was on back to education. So I was living off 188 euro a week. And this was like massive deal for me. And then as well, I started getting money off the ads that would show on the front of my YouTube videos. So essentially like the past 10 years, I've kind of been sharing content. It's evolved as I've gotten older. It's changed um, so many times from, you know, fitness journeys, like uh, getting out of relationship, being single, relationships and dating, uh, becoming a, getting married, becoming a mother. Like it's, it's gone on a, uh, you know, mad roller coaster and it's lovely to have all that documented. But um, I, I, I write as well. I've been writing books for, since 2016 and publishing with Hachette Ireland. So it's been, it's been really cool. Um but it still surprises me every day that it's my job. And on that, in terms of the reach that you describe, I mean, you have close to about seven, eight hundred thousand followers on YouTube. Yeah. And you were saying you said something that, you know, your next door neighbor could get a million views. But I think they're a different kind of view. They're a different kind of engagement. If you get a million yeah. views of something that lasts, you know, five, ten seconds versus 50,000 listens to something that you talk about for an hour. So you're Very engaging true. somebody. For an hour, you're engaging somebody and they're listening to you and they're invested in what you say. I think that has a much bigger impact than a reel that goes viral on Instagram or TikTok, because like you said, everybody could get that. But if you're able to maintain a following over a 10 year period, that's an amazing achievement. And you were talking about the reach. I mean, I... It's funny how algorithms on social media work. I, yeah, I, they're scary. <laughs> I obviously wasn't aware of you for a significant period of time mm. until you started talking about motherhood issues, parenting issues. And then Instagram said, oh, you know, Afif, you might like to follow Melanie now because Aww. she's talking about it. And that's how no I came way. across you. So I think it, it's evolving constantly and it's constant in flux and you're attracting more people now that you're, you know, dealing with something that affects pretty much most people. Yes. And I suppose I want to jump into that now, if that's OK with you. Yeah. And I know you are very, I think, rightly so private about your, your baby. So we're not going to mention their names, but we can talk about them in general, if that's OK. And yeah. your experience. Toddler so, and baby. <laughs> toddler and baby. So you became a parent to toddler about three years ago at this stage. Yeah, he's nearly three. I had my first uh, during the pandemic, so in 2020 and my second early this year, January early this year. So I'm very much in like that, the trenches of that stage. Yeah. And did, did you feel prepared for the birth of your first? Oh, it's so funny. Like I did in that I'd, you know, done the hypnobirthing course and I'd followed families online for years. I'd spoken to people I knew who had children, like older family members. And I felt like, oh, I'm, I'm so ready for this. But it, it's not something I I think anyone can prepare for. You should still prepare for it, but it's it's the, a kind of a learn on the go job, and every day it's different. Still, and um, my husband always says that like he finds a day at home with the two kids is like as challenging or more as his job. Like going to work is probably more challenging, but um, yeah, I I think I'm I'm kind of getting into the swing of it now. But it's taken me that long, like three years, to feel like right. I kind of know what I'm doing, but then even like some days come and I'm like, what is happening right now? 
yeah. it's just wild. Like. I know it is. It's 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 funny you say that because myself and my wife, when we had our kids, I mean, people know by by now that we're both doctors. I work in pediatrics, mm. and people used to come to me and say, "You're so lucky. You, you're entering parenthood with all of this knowledge." And I used to tell them, no, I actually haven't a clue about my daughter. I haven't a clue about raising my daughter. And my wife used to be told, you're so lucky to be married to a pediatrician. He must know everything. <laughs> They're all different. And They're she used so to different. tell people, no, he's fucking useless. He, doesn't know. <laughs> he actually doesn't know anything. I think it's maybe comforting for people to hear that everybody starts from the same baseline when, when they become a parent. Yeah. And we used to you talk about how full on it is. We used to joke about, I'm going to hospital to do a 24 hour shift. <laughs> To have a break from have the children, you know, you know <laughs> it's, it's much easier to actually do that than, oh, than minding two, two monsters. Two, yeah. Literally yeah, like toddler it's and baby. so, that's so funny that you would say that. Cause like that, that is even shocking to me, but that it makes me feel less like, I don't know, crazy. Like I, sometimes I feel like, am I just crap? Like, why am I finding this so difficult? And it's not the kind, when you use the word difficult, I don't think people can even contextualize that or like understand what you mean by that. Like I've done, you know, a degree I've, I lost 60 pounds. I've quit alcohol. I've gone through really horrible breakups. Like, but the, the, just the, the day to day of trying to juggle the needs of two kids at very separate ages and, and trying to like, make sure that they're both, because they become, I'm not saying that like, I don't exist and they're all that matters, but like they, they, they are everything to me. And I can't even think of my, I, I'm trying, I'm trying all the time to like remind myself my needs matter because I can't be the best mother to them unless I'm looking after myself. But at the end of the day, when I look at like the way I am moment to moment, I'm like, what do they need? What do they need? What do they need? They're, it's like something lights up in your brain and you can't, any thought I have is side by side with my kids. What are they doing? How are they what do should I be doing for them right now? So like that is just something that like no book or podcast or anything yeah. can help prepare you for. And it but it does comfort you to hear other people say that. Yeah. And to to talk. So that's why I find the internet like podcasts like this and YouTube videos and everything so unbelievably yeah. comforting. And it traverses everything in your life. I mean what we're doing now is a case in point. I mean, I have to come to your house, yes. you know, gladly so, so that you can be close to baby that you're breastfeeding and things like that. And yeah. they, they sort of almost dictate your, yeah. your life and everything you the do schedule. in the early phase. And we were talking off, off air in that, uh, and people hear this all the time and they say, yeah, right. But I mean, it is, it is a temporary or a, a certain phase in, yes. in, in your journey season. with them. Yeah. It's a season and it changes so quickly. It really does. And I'm talking now from the other end of people have heard me give out about my kids, you know, joking <laughs> most of the time. They're, you know, they're 15 and 12 now and, yeah. you know, they're almost independent. So you barely spend time. And mm -hmm. this is, people often tell me, how do you have the time to do a podcast and to do this and to do that? It's like, well, my daughter's 15. She doesn't. <laughs> she doesn't even want to talk to me. <laughs> she barely she barely wants to talk to me. So that's why I like to talk to other people and document, yeah. you know. I came back around to my dad. I think I was like 20. I came out of that teenage bubble yes. and I was like, you're my best friend again. Yeah. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I remember I didn't, I didn't talk to him for years. Yeah. <laughs> Just, what do you want for dinner? That was our conversation. Exactly. So tell me, what surprised you the most the first time you had um toddler? The biggest shock was that it's not linear. Their development isn't linear. I thought oh, once he's sleeping like this or once he's eating like this or whatever, that it'll just stay like that. And 
I feel like from when they're a baby, right up, like there's ups and downs all the time. And, um, you know, he, he wasn't sleeping through when people say that, like he wasn't sleeping through until he was 21 months old when I night weaned him. And I only night weaned because I was pregnant and it was becoming really painful and I was exhausted and I didn't want to end up tandem feeding because I knew that that would mean I couldn't work. Um, it's just, it, I just wouldn't, I, I wouldn't know how to juggle that. I just think people who do that are incredible. But um, yeah, so the fact that like, you, I, I just had this image of like putting a baby to sleep as you get in a rocking chair and you do this and then they're asleep and then you lay them in their bassinet and then you walk away and there's, it's all, I just had such a different image, I think. And I thought once they'd hit a milestone um, of, of whatever, that it would kind of, it wouldn't dip back down. But there was like, you know, when they talk about sleep regressions, I've been trying to like, with my second baby, trying to retrain my brain to think, think of them as progressions. Like it's, it's a stage they're going through to be able to ultimately sleep better. But like right now it's really shit. So, um, that's, that was a huge shock. I think I just, I'd never been around a baby for more than an hour, you know, like I didn't have siblings with babies. I didn't have a clue. It was just so, just someone handing your baby like a figure it out. (laughs) Yeah. You learn on the job. Exactly. And then I want to bring you back to when you actually had your first baby. You mentioned that it was during COVID and during the pandemic. Yes. I'm bringing you back to maybe the first time you were in the hospital. Did you feel supported there? Did you have, and we maybe talk about the contrast and the experience between the two births. The two births. Oh yeah. yeah. That's a whole conversation. So my first birth, the labor was great. I, I felt very like in control and I felt capable of, of kind of riding it and stuff. Um, but because it was the pandemic, obviously the, all the staff was stretched very thin. Like the care wasn't what it would normally be, I think, because um, we, especially like you, you couldn't have, um, you know, visitors in after your birth and stuff like that. So like after I had the baby, um, there was like a lot of kind of intervention and stuff as well. So I was kind of in a bad way. I had a third degree tear and a major hemorrhage. So immediately after it, I was like, I had all of the hormones and stuff. So I was kind of on cloud nine for a bit, but then, you know, things like the reality hit and I was in the hospital for like four nights, I think four days, four nights. I, for five entire days, I didn't sleep. I had, I had a nap. So I was hallucinating and it was, (laughs) I think I had the biggest mental breakdown of my life on the way home from the hospital. I was so anxious. It's not that I wasn't supported because when, when someone would come to me, they were amazing, but I would press the button in the hospital and for someone to like hand the baby to me from the little um, uh, glass cot cot, and no one would come quick enough and I couldn't handle the cry. So like I then was like, right, I'm not going to sleep because I don't want to have to put him back in there and then not be able to reach him because I had a catheter in. So I couldn't really get in and out of the bed. And I was in like, my sheets were all covered in blood and it was, it was, it was it wasn't great because my my husband was only allowed to visit for I think forty five minutes once a day or something, and I just all I wanted was my parents, my family, my siblings. Like I just wanted people to be there so I could trust them to hold the baby, and then I could sleep. I wanted someone to hold him, but I didn't want the staff to hold him because at the time I heard one of them coughing, and I, I, I like you know there wasn't it was still very early in the pandemic, so I was terrified. I was so terrified of him getting COVID and myself getting COVID. So I just sat in the bed for days awake and it, it, I, yeah, it was, 
like we pulled in on the road and I was slamming my husband went into the pharmacy to just get me my painkillers and stuff and I was slamming on the windows because he'd locked the car and I got really claustrophobic okay. the baby was asleep and um all these strangers I just it was that day I was like a caged animal in that car and when I got back to the house I like collapsed and um had my first 3 hour sleep and it was the first of many three-hour sleeps. I don't think I've slept more than three hours in years in a row. But um, it was it was a crazy, crazy time. That postpartum period was really difficult because of the recovery. With a third-degree tear, you can't sit directly down on anything. And just getting to and back from the bathroom was a big deal. And then you're trying to breastfeed while you're in pain. And it was really hard. But with my second birth, it was... I switched hospitals. I switched to where where you work um, in the Rotunda, but I um, I wanted to be in a different hospital just because I wanted to not have that association from the other hospital. And I um, had an amazing birth. Like I got there in labor. A few hours later, I gave birth on the floor um, with no medication. And I felt like an hour later I was showering. I felt amazing. And I left the next day and I didn't have like any big blood loss or big tear or anything. So and because I knew what I was doing from the first time with breastfeeding and stuff, it was just like night and day. Do you, night mind, and yeah. day. Do you mind if I explore that a little bit with you, if that's okay? Yeah. Um, you said that you gave birth on the floor. Yeah. Um, oh, on all fours. I wanted sorry, to. On all fours. Yeah. Exactly. That and was by my choice. Yeah. Yes. And that's what I'm getting at is, do you feel that you were listened to in the hospital about your birth choices that you wanted to achieve or you wanted to aspire to? 100%. And I, th- I do think that was very much to do with the like not being in a pandemic because um it was just very different like in during my first birth I think there was a bit more pressure to like I felt anyway for me to not be there so long because I was in labor for a long time and they kept intervening and stuff whereas the second time I kind of went in with headphones on and I told my husband look can you communicate with the staff for me just ask them to have the lights off and I'm just going to listen to my music and I just really want to be left alone as much as possible. Um, I did like consent to the internal examination when I was uh, entering the hospital, but I just, other than that, I just really didn't want anyone interfering and stuff. And my midwife was incredible. And she was so, she was always offering me, do you want this? Do you need this? Do you need anything? And um, she just trusted me to like leave me at it. But it was really funny because we were expecting like an average size baby based on the scans. Yeah. And my baby girl was 10 pounds. Amazing. I, I was like literally on on my all fours. And they say that you can't remember the pain of birth and stuff. And I have footage of myself giving birth and I still can't remember wow. the feeling of it. I have footage of her head coming out. My husband like held the phone over here and was looking at me up here because I wanted to see it. Um, but I can't even, I can't, if I close my eyes, I can't get the feeling through my body or anything like yeah. that. So it was... It, I, I know at the time I thought, oh God, my body's going to split in two. But it was like, I was like, I can do this. I know I can do this. I've done it before. And just the difference was incredible. And I think that feeling listened to and feeling, um, it's really important to advocate for yourself in those situations. Yeah. And obviously though as well, like that you kind of feel comfortable with with the, the midwife that you have. And she made, had a little chat with me when I got there. And that made me feel very like, you know, kind of. Like, I, even though I was with my headphones, but... You mentioned hypnobirthing um, at yeah. the beginning. Did you find that helpful? Really helpful. Like, I, I think that is even so helpful, even if you have to have, like, 
from people I've talked to, even if you have to have like an emergency C-section or anything, because in my first birth, I had to have um, an emergency like intervention where they used a forceps. They didn't tell me they were going to use that, which is a big part of why that birth experience was kind of traumatic because it didn't feel like I knew what was going on. Um, but I, as it was happening, I was like in my head, and my, my, my brain was doing this. If anyone watching or listening um, knows Game of Thrones, I was Khaleesi on this dragon and she was going up into the sky and going over a cloud and then coming back down. And that was like each contraction wave was like, and, and, and I was roaring in my head. I was like, Rah! and that was this weird, it was like a, it was like a computer game as well. It was like an old side scroller pixelated computer game. And that's the image my brain conjured up to deal with contractions, but it really helped. And, um, I had the positive affirmations playing and I was doing my breathing and I think it just kept me calm. And I think knowing that you have control over how you react to what's happening. And um, it's not that you're denying that it's painful or anything like that. Like I didn't do that. Like I was like, yes, this is, is painful, but you know, billions of people have done this. I can do it. Just that mindset shift really helped me. And I didn't kind of um, go in, into it with a, from a place of fear. And I think it's worth doing no matter what, like even if you're doing a plan C-section, anything like that, I think doing hypnobirthing just will change your experience of it. And I did a, a course called the Positive Birth Company. And I was like, I think it was 40 quid, but it was the best 40 quid I ever spent. Okay. And it helped my husband as well to be a good birthing partner. It's a great description of how hypnobirthing has helped you. Because I think a lot of people have, and I have to confess me included, a different idea of what hypnobirthing is, but you describe it. Brilliantly. It's not denying anything, but it's actually helping you, I suppose, contextualize and understand what you go through and 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 accepting it and 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 moving on and using it to help improve your birthing journey. Yeah. Yeah. It's kinda like I remember in therapy one time um years ago, this idea just really stuck with me of seeing your emotions like laid out or as if they're it's someone else experiencing the emotions and knowing that you can react to your emotion you can choose how you react to it. So kind of like almost taking a breath and like, um, it's called like metacognition and stuff. So that, that like kind of with, with, with hypnobirthing, I was like, it, it doesn't mean I'm going to be like, this is going to be, oh, I'm just going to go and the baby's going to come out. It was more of a case of being in the right mindset for it, like a marathon, like treating the birth, like, right, I'm going to prepare for this marathon by, eating certain things, drinking certain things, sleeping. Like I felt like hypnobirthing is kind of just a good prep for, for the birth, no matter what. And then, you know, even, even if you have like a, a poor, like, or not a poor, like, but not what you wanted. If you don't have the birth outcome that you wanted, it's possible to still, um, kind of stay in control and, and to, to still experience it and still be there for it and present for it. And, and to, you know, be in a good headspace after it, because obviously then you're handed a baby. So like the birth, you spend your whole pregnancy building up to your birth and and you don't spend any of it planning for <laughs> the next 18 years. Yeah. So funny, because as soon as it was over, I was like, oh, now what? <laughs> I didn't look into babies at all. Yes, exactly. And it's an Brilliant segue, because I want to talk about the now what now um, in the line of work that you do. You're not at a luxury to take six months off or a year off or whatever after the birth of your baby. You pretty much went back to work 
mm. almost immediately after. So can yeah. you tell us a bit about that experience? See, I, I do feel privileged, though, that I can choose when I when I do work in and around my baby and stuff. I don't ever want anyone to think that I, I'm not like extremely grateful for how flexible my job is. But I like had brand deals and things like that, that I had to get working on and post in a couple of weeks after birth. And I just was not able or ready, but I just had to do it anyway, because with my job, if I took six months off posting anything, I don't know what I would come back to. It's not like any other normal job. And I think a lot of people who are self-employed in creative industries feel that way, that they're, they don't have that option. It's just not, I didn't entertain it for a second because I was like, I can't, I can't take time off. Um, and I remember before my first baby, I was like, I don't want to be a mammy vlogger. Like, I don't want to just talk about being a parent and all that. And that's not going to become my personality. But then I had my my kid and like, you know, that was my everything. It was during the pandemic as well. So I couldn't even do all my other things like going to the gym and all the other things I used to post about. So I was just kind of like, you know, oh, I'll turn I'll, I'll, I'll turn my experiences into my content. That's what I've always done. It'll be easy, but it wasn't easy because making content, like I have so many things have to line up. Even this, like you got here, my dad was bringing my son to the beach. I fed my daughter and then my husband go to put her asleep. So I had to be on my husband's day off. I had to have someone around for my toddler first to have silence to film. Like it's so chaotic and it's actually becoming harder now that my baby is at that baby stage where I can't just lay her down and do some emails. A lot of my work is admin. A lot of it is like stuff people never see. And a lot of things that I do, like, you know, I'm going on a TV show during the week, reviewing a book. And like, I'm trying to fit in all these things in and around my my actual posts. And then the posts that you're doing that aren't sponsored, you need to keep them regular so that if someone wants to work with you, it's not like everything you post is sponsored. So there was a lot of things in my mind that I was like, how am I going to do this? And I'm still figuring it out. Like I'm still, every day is like, you know, last night we were doing, you know, like 10 minutes before I went to bed. Like, and and I kind of just work when my kids are asleep right before bed and then on my husband's days off. So it's, it is part-time very much, but when you're, when you're a full-time parent, it doesn't feel like you're not working yeah. or that you're working part time. I feel like I'm working more than I've ever worked. In yeah, my absolutely. Because you've, you've, you know, you've, you've the two little ones to, to look after as yeah. well. And it seems to me, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, that you actually do feel supported and get a lot of support to maintain doing Massively, that. Yes. Yeah. Like I, I have an amazing, amazing husband who is like such an amazing dad. He's so hands on. And then my father and his mother are the two kind of people that we would feel like we can always rely on them. My, my mother-in-law minds my son for like a few days a week for a few hours. And um, my dad would be brilliant with him at weekends. Like, you know, he they, they get on so well. He loves like playing with him and stuff, but it just gives me that bit of extra space to like fit in work. And I just, I'm, I can't, I can't even fathom not having them. Like, I don't, I don't know how people, people should never have to do that without, you know, and, and I think that's why, like, as a society, we need to figure out how to bring the village back and the sense of that. Because even even with me and my husband and two other people to two kids, it still doesn't feel enough. Like, it still doesn't feel like, you know, on, on days when if there's a family gathering, it's so incredible when there's loads of people all looking at the kids and they're all being passed around. Because it's like you don't feel like it's this huge responsibility or this weight 
But when it's just one adult or two adults even. When kids are trying to learn to walk and crawl, like you're you're just, that's your full time thing. And you, you, you need to be so focused. It's like laser focus. So um, I just think it's it's the hardest thing in the world to do on days when it's just me and the two kids. That is so, so difficult. Um, and I think women who choose to be stay-at-home mothers just don't get nearly enough credit. And I, there's this attitude that they're not doing anything. It's like, oh, so you don't work. So you don't you don't really do anything, do you? And I just I just really hope that within the next couple of decades that that is wiped away because the the it is ridiculous when you yeah. think about it, and I think it is because of people like you that advocate and are so vocal about this that people are recognizing that you're not actually on a holiday. This yeah. is work, and you know I always go back to me and my wife saying I'm going off to do a 24 hour shift to take a break. You know, yeah, and you know so. Working to me, and I'm talking personally, because we were um, at some stage in Toronto on our own with two young kids and going to hospital and doing a 24 hour shift oh. was, was was the lesser of two evils. Two evils. No, I don't want to say it's not evil. I mean, you know, we're grateful uh, yeah. and everything for all of that. I hate that we always have to justify that, but it yes. is, it's so difficult yeah, and draining. You know, and, exactly. And yeah. just um, <clears throat> it, it like anyone doing it full time just deserves like you know yeah. a bit of like, it's because it's not paid it's unpaid labor so it's not valued it's yes. the way our society views things now it's yes. like the more money you're earning then what you're doing must be the hardest thing and it's like it just doesn't work like that like even with my job you know if I earn a certain fee for a certain job like my dad will be like Jesus I had to work in a factory for a month to get that money like I just think it's stupid to assign um like how how uh difficult something is versus like you know based on how much someone earns for it and some of the hardest work that people do is is not well paid yeah, or not paid at all very very well said I want to ask about um your breastfeeding journey and your breastfeeding advocacy in in particular that you've done on social media and the one I want to discuss is trying to get the balance right when advocating for breastfeeding yet trying to be as inclusive as possible in the message and not make people feel that they are um, cast aside Mm -hmm. and I'm actually almost using this as a therapy session because this is something I struggle with a lot on my page as well when I try and um, strike a balance in providing information on breastfeeding, but also be inclusive and be cognizant of the fact that a lot of parents use formula feeding. Yeah. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. And here I am qualifying it again. Yeah. Um, so how did you, and what was your experience, first of all, with that? I feel like that's the one subject that I've probably experienced the most backlash on is anytime I speak about breastfeeding. And it's, of all the things I've spoken about as well, it's like, that would be shocking. Um. But it is really hard. And I think what I've kind of learned and that when I say backlash, it's it's um, from mothers who think that I'm trying to say that if you don't breastfeed, you're lesser than or if or that you should breastfeed or you should have breastfed, which I've never said. I've never, ever like people put words in my mouth all the time on this subject. But I think what I've really come away from it, it realizing is that when you're parenting so take the example of um you talk about going to the gym you post stuff about going to the gym you want to motivate people to go to the gym you want to share the benefits of going to the gym it's it's not that often that people will watch that and say 
you're shaming me because I don't go to the gym or you think I'm a piece of shit because I I don't exercise or anything like that. That that does happen, but not that much. But when it's your children, I think people get a lot more, people are much more sensitive and worried about like the decision making they've made. And I've noticed this with older family members, say, who back when they were younger, everybody did formula feed and it was encouraged right from the get-go and it was the thing, the done thing. And so like, I've felt that more from that generation of like, oh, so when are you going to wean? And like, oh, surely, you know, and just always trying to interrupt the process. Um, And I think in Ireland, our rates are quite low as well. So that must be like still a kind of a, because even me, I, I only breastfed because I saw someone on social media talking about it. So that's why I know it's powerful to talk about this online and it does influence people. And I've had people reach out who are breastfeeding even, you know, a year down the line because of my content. So I know it's worth talking about, even though I get this backlash. But um, I think when it, when you're talking about parenting decisions, I've just noticed that like, you're never right. You can't say anything right because, or, or you're always going to make someone People, even though they don't, might not mean to, they're viewing your decision on what you do as a judgment on their decision when it isn't. And I've, I've tried to just like accept that, that sometimes if I could make a post about breastfeeding and the benefits of breastfeeding and someone will see that and, and take that to mean what I did is wrong. You're talking about breastfeeding prevents these things therefore if I didn't breastfeed I'm going to cause these things in my child and I've never said those things yeah. ever and it's it's really sad and really I'm trying to reach people who might not even have been pregnant yet you know and then there's also the issue that like it's not even just people who don't want to breastfeed it's a lot of people have tried and it didn't work yeah, out that's important and to highlight I suppose yeah. it's not always a choice yeah, yeah. and that and, and and that's like it's just something we need to talk about, but it is, it's really difficult because you need to have an entire conversation around it. And it's, <clears throat> it's kind of hard to put up a post without adding in a million different co- layers of context and disclaimers and everything like that. No one would listen to it then. So you're trying to get the information through and not have it all convoluted, but like also you're, co- you're always going to get that feedback yeah. and it's yeah. just... It's it's hard. It's yeah, hard no, to talk it about is, it. It makes it me not want to talk about it. But then I think we need to keep talking about it, though, yeah. but also, you know, acknowledge all the challenges and all the difficulties. And like you said, sometimes put it put it in context. Mm. Um, I could talk to you forever, but yeah. I want to maybe um, see and finish up to see if you have any advice to future, I suppose, parents in business in particular that might have the luxury of taking a lot of time off after work. And mm. um, what would you advise them to do in terms of you know, preparing for the dual role, managing the family while maintaining your position um, or even achieving growth. I mean, you've alluded to a lot of it as we were chatting, but anything in particular? This is something It's just such, it's the kind of advice you never want to hear, is it? But for me, addressing certain lifestyle habits has made juggling everything a lot easier. And it's the kind of stuff you just don't want to do. Like, you know, um, not eating right before you go to bed, going to bed really early um, going for walks and like the, the kinds of self-care things, the kind of boring things, they just make the process less agonizing <laughs> because if your body's functioning properly and your mind is sharp. Um, so like, like educating yourself and, and listening to podcasts and stuff on nutrition and 
you know, sleep and all the, all the boring subject. I don't find them boring, but I know a lot of people, uh, they want the comforts and they want the, you know, things like that. But I, I just, for me, sometimes if I, even if I'm exhausted getting on the floor and trying to do push-ups or trying to do squats or doing my little workouts, they actually give me more energy and make it more possible for me to, you know, get things done. Um, and another thing that my therapist like has me doing religiously is um, writing down at night what I have to do the next day. So just making a list of the things I have to do. Even if I do it on my notes app on my phone, I yeah. usually do. It, like I don't have like my fancy journal all the time. Like sometimes I'm like, I don't even know where it is. <laughs> so go under a pile of clothes. But um, writing out what I have to do the next day always and then writing out things I'm grateful for just keeps me in a in a decent headspace because it's very easy for me if I get into a bad headspace to be like, fuck it all. I'm ju- I just, all I'm going to do tomorrow is survive. And sometimes I have those days, but uh, you have to look after yourself, I think, to to do it. Because just working while raising the family is no joke. Like yeah, it's- I'm, I'm beginning to realize the power of journaling, you mm. know, um, to try and organize your life and future journaling. So you're not writing about what happened. You're writing about what you want to do, what you want to do and what you're going to happen. And, yeah. you know, having those aspirations and hopefully try and achieve them. Mm. And a lot See, of I'm, people, I'm big on that, the vision boards and yes. the, like all that. I, I know some people poo poo it, but like I've always done that where I'm like, you know, next three months, three years, five years, like I always will write down what things do I want to happen. And it just helps keep you. It's not like it's a magic thing, but it does keep you directed toward it to actually make it happen. And I really believe in it. Finally, I want to ask you, what do you do for self-care other than what you've described I feel like audiobooks audiobooks is my big thing at the moment and uh writing was my self-care thing I know it's just like a luxury that I don't know when I'm going to get to to write again but reading I look I it's funny like the kids are like the the source of a lot of the stress but like lying in bed with my son reading him a book is probably my favorite thing to do yeah. so just and and just um in those moments that are really simple just like being like I have everything I need right now to to be happy and uh it's it's just be, being being present and 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 that that makes my life a million times better great well before we finish i just wanted to say thank you for coming on our podcast and to express our thanks we just want to give you a little present from eden one ireland's oh. leading um spa and gym destination oh my god if, is that what you were shuffling around yes for? i was, I was shuffling like around what's he doing making was, all the noise it was on the floor sorry i know i'm gonna have to oh do a lot of editing god. so signature package they're delighted to treat you at any time that works for you over the wow. next little while wow so, are you joking uh, are you joking all. no i'm not of course not no no oh my so, god seriously yeah absolutely god. so you're gonna have to find people to take your kids for a couple of hours and then you can have oh, a, a day for yourself there. I feel like I need to like give you a hug. Oh. <laughs> thank you. Not Thanks guys. Not at all. Wow. That's Listen, amazing. Melanie, thank you so much for coming on our podcast. Uh, um, thanks this for has been an amazing me. interview and I'm sure people are going to find it um, uh, brilliant. So I thank you. So. I thank hope you. so. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Baby Tribe podcast. We hope you found inspiration and valuable insights to help you on your parenting journey. Remember, you're doing an amazing job. Thanks for being part of the Baby Tribe community. See you next week.